Welcome back to the station that plays only platinum hits. It's the sleeper and the bust. This is episode number 139. And joining me as usual during the week is Eno Saris. Eno, how are you today? I am hoping that I am not David Luiz today. Because I'm hoping that David Luiz misses the goal, doesn't do anything good, falls down, and looks like a general fool because the Germans are playing. Boo. Soccer, and you guys don't care about soccer, so we'll go back to baseball. <laughs> boo, boo. I'm rooting for Davi Luis myself. But, yeah, we'll move to the uh, more interesting stuff, which is the rawhide. And, um, you know, I hope you had a good fourth. Uh, there was a lot of trade news and things like that that went on. And we know uh, the Cubs dealt Jeff Samarja, Jason Hamill, to Oakland. Not so interesting there, perhaps. But uh, what happens in Chicago after that uh, could be a bit of interest. Uh, what do you think of Kyle Hendricks coming up on Thursday and uh, how this might play as far as uh, I, mean, I, I think there's a possibility that he has some mixed league appeal, no? There's an outside shot. I mean, from what I hear, he's got a great sinker and a great change. And, you know, those that's a good way to start, although they kind of both go in the same direction. So, you know, people who are smarter than I have seen more of him say that what he figures out with his breakers is important. Um Sadev Sharma said that he calls it a cutter. Um, I don't really care what he calls it. If, it. if it breaks in the other direction and it's okay, then he's starting to get some mixed lead upside. He's done really well in the minors. The only thing that uh, I can add to the piece that I wrote about Hendricks is that um, I had found a report that he was up to 95 10 times a game recently and was and had been shown improvement velocity because he, he normally lives around 88, 91, but um, I forget who I talked to, maybe Scott Strandberg, to, who does, um, who does uh, prospects for us at Rotographs, and he said that he saw him for two or three innings and he never got over 90. So, um, you know, I guess I, what I would look for, I would probably, even if I picked him up, I wouldn't start him in a mixed league. And I would, I would say that he's mostly useful in dynasty leagues, and if you want to take a shot in your 14-team dynasty or whatever, um, I'd pick him up and put him on my bench if that's possible. Um, and then I'd watch the, the, the game or, or at least look at the stats afterwards and see what was his max velocity, what was his average velocity, and how many breakers did he throw, You know, how many cutters, sliders, curves. It doesn't really matter what the name is. Um, and it almost doesn't matter what the whiff rate is because it's going to be such a small sample. But it will matter how many he throws because that says – how much confidence he has. Because if it's all sliders, all sinkers and changes, um, you know, then, then you'll know something about what his arsenal is like and what it might be lacking. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, I think, I think what uh, obviously what stands out about him is basically until this season, his walk rate was uh, two, basically stayed under two walks per nine innings. That's, that's his calling card. Can't expect too much in the way of strikeouts. It'd be interesting to see. Sometimes you see guys like this come up, and uh, they're a little wilder than any other minor league numbers would suggest. I, I would just like to see that he doesn't walk. He continues not to walk anyone and basically provides us with that confidence, at least gives him. To me, that's basically what's going to make or break him is kind of his willingness to continue to attack guys at the major league level with uh, stuff that's not necessarily top notch. So, 
he's i mean he's certainly an only league material i i guess you would agree but uh probably going to be a little unpredictable in terms of what you could imagine the results would be and uh it's kind of potential wait and see or at the very least don't be willing to drop, dump him in there right away in, in mixed leagues yeah i don't think so i mean he's not like you say he doesn't have dominant stuff and if you don't have dominant stuff and you don't and we don't know what his confidence level is going to be like going in then it's hard to throw it in the zone because you need you really need confidence to throw that zone so that's that's definitely important um also his minor league walk rate, I mean, his minor league ground ball rates, which, which although they were good in the sort of 53%, uh, 54% range, that's not the kind of uh, Joe, Ke- Joe Kelly-esque or Carlos Martinez-esque, um, you know, sinker numbers where they're getting 60% ground balls in the minors. And so, you know, if that 2% turns into 48% or 45%, then you've got a guy who's just barely above average when ground ball rate below average and strikeout rate and then you're you're all eyes are on the walk rate so yeah wait and see for the most part more interesting than the other guy coming up though than Tsuyoshi Wada although you know if I was uh, if I was looking at one game you know uh, you know right off the bat I would take Tsuyoshi Wada because he's 33 you know I don't think confidence is going to be his problem he's gonna he's got command and splitter uh and that's worked for so many Japanese pitchers before. I think he's going to go out there, throw it in the zone, uh, get ahead, throw the splitter. I think you might see a decent number of, uh, of strikeouts, good number of walks, and then the question is how many homers they'll hit off him um, off the 87, 86 mile an hour fastball. Um, so, you know, Wada one game, Hendricks for the end game, or and Hendricks for the, for the dynasty game. Yeah, yeah. We, and we briefly t- touched on Wada this past weekend, and it's interesting. I mean, I think exactly what you say, the, the veteran presence, that, that type of moxie, uh, for whatever that's worth, is going to be kind of his key to deal, continuing to, uh, willingness to deal, willingness to, to put his stuff up against major league hitters uh, night in, night out, and that he, he doesn't really walk guys and, and looks like he can he can probably rack up more strikeouts than any of the other guys the Cubs are going to throw in there. But obviously... Run home run prevention is probably going to be a huge issue for him. The only thing I would say is like a one start. I would uh, mention this briefly over the weekend. I would not make it uh, his debut against uh, the <laughs> Nationals because the Nationals they've been kind of hot, but more so uh, they've just absolutely hammered, hammered left-handed pitchers this year. So uh-huh. uh, kind of take a wait and see approach. But uh, we talked about two Cubs new pitchers who are now in the rotation now that they made some changes, uh, and they also are bringing up Dallas Beeler. To, to start on Wednesday, and he's, hey, he's had one start this season, uh, struck out six and six innings earlier this year, uh, and not quite, as, uh, not quite as impressive a resume in the minor leagues as Hendricks, but really kind of a similar M.O., only in the sense that uh, he, he seems to be able, he has exhibited the ability to limit walks and doesn't necessarily rack up a great deal of strikeouts. Uh, anything you see that's promising about him uh, I mean, it, he got, he kept the ball on the ground quite a bit in his major league debut, and that seems also kind of be again his his modus operandi in the minors. Yeah, he's got a good sinker. Well, it's a very weird sinker actually, and it's a decent sample so far because he throws the sinker a lot. So he's got 105 sinkers and one whiff. So um, you know you don't throw the sinker for whiffs. And it's traditionally one that you don't mind them getting contact and putting in play. But one whiff 
suggests to me the pitch is hittable. And um, I don't know what, what I'm looking for him. I mean, you know, maybe it can be hittable and just, you know, get a great ground ball rate, which it does. But, you know, nothing else really stands out. No other pitch uh, really stands out. And, you know, his, his slider right now gets a decent whiff rate, but it's on 25 pitches. And he trusts his cutter a lot more, and he trusts and he throws his splitter, which is below average. So, kind of weird. It's a weird combination of pitches. And I think you know, in the slow, in a small sample like this, without a real standout pitch um, in terms of whiff rate, you're you're grasping at straws a little bit. And it, you know, a guy who's going to be a ground ball pitcher is not going to be as good as a guy who's going to be a strikeout pitcher because strikeouts are a category in all of our leagues. So. Right. You know, in this case, his upside is pretty muted, and um, and there's no standout pitch. It's not like a splitter is just getting whiffs all the time, and uh, so I, I. And then you look at his. In this case, I would look at his actual minor league stats, which are super underwhelming. Yeah, yeah. I mean, overall, he sounds like somebody that. Uh, I mean, if if you're desperate, you throw a buck at an NL only league and cross your fingers. Uh, and maybe you get lucky. <laughs> yeah, I think you know probably the risk is a little bit lower uh, than a Wada um, or even a Hendricks because first of all he's you know thrown a couple hundred major league pitches now, and also he's shown the ability to get ground balls and you know he's shown that he will throw it in the zone. So these are all things that Hendricks hasn't done. These are all things that Wada you know might do. Um, so. You know, I'd rather probably throw a bucket Beeler than the other two. Okay, um, and I would I would say that uh, I'd be a little more encouraged. The Cubs are going to these ground ball pitchers. I'd be a little more encouraged if last year they were in the top five in defensive efficiency. Efficiency, and this year they're kind of around uh, middle of the pack, maybe a little lower. We know that they occasionally are, uh, have some defensive lapses, especially in the infield. So. Uh, and Emilio Bonifacio didn't really always help that, depending on whenever he comes back. So, uh, I mean, it's it'd be a little it'd be a little nicer if they had, say, uh, Oakland's infield or something in that nature. But again, these are these are kind of only commodities. Maybe these guys pan out for you. I'd be interested to see um, what happens if Jake Peavy. There's the the talk is kind of heated up with him uh, as far as possible move to St. Louis. Not really. I mean, it's been kind of a rough year for him in Boston. Really, ever since he's moved to Boston, has not been uh, all that impressive. Uh, and, and this, to me, this is kind of a part of this is kind of just his uh, his aging process in the sense that his stuff just isn't quite as good as it used to be. But uh, there's, I mean, there's certainly uh, he's certainly capable of being at least a pl- replacement level pitcher. I'd like to think. I like to think also that uh, the move to St. Louis really helps his problems suppressing home runs and the fly ball problem. Uh, does he appeal to you? How and how much more so if he does? Uh, if he moves to the Cardinals, I think so. I think so. I I I know he's thirty three. I know it's the worst fly, uh, velocity of his career, but uh, and and I know that the, you know you can really see the bell curve with him where the peaks peak was in the middle and. Um, you know, we're coming back around to the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and I know, you know, his whiff rate is average. Uh, his strike, his walk rate is average. His strikeout rate is just below average. His ground ball rate is about average. But all those things look better in the National League. Um, I think he'll, he'll add a couple strikeouts. And I, I think, you know, 
St. Louis is actually a super underrated pitcher's park. So um, I think he'll throw a few more sinkers. Um, you know, in St. Louis, people usually do. And he'll, he'll have fewer home runs. And um, I think he'll get something that goes on the other side of, of four, maybe, in terms of ERA. I think he really could do that in the National League. Yeah, I, I could see that as well. And as a pitcher, I, I mean, I drafted him in the mixed talent draft and kind of benefited from uh, an unexpectedly good start, considering that he had a real problem with the walks early on and has actually kind of at least slowed his role as far as that goes. But I dropped him maybe a, a month ago and not really didn't really miss him. And no one uh, I don't think anyone jumped on him immediately either. I don't I don't recall if he's still unowned in there, but he'd be I'd be much more interested now that these rumors have, have talked this up. And their staff, particularly the pitching coach, Derek Lilliquist, uh, obviously, uh, and uh, others before him have really they've Cardinals have always kind of preached ground ball stuff. And uh, just generally they have kind of some magical powers when it comes to working with pitchers. They made Kyle Loesch good and stuff like that. So, uh, I mean, I think it's it, it'd be it'd be pretty interesting uh, to see what happens if he moves there. Another guy, uh, speaking of the Cardinals, guy coming back from the disabled list, it looks like on Friday from a strained hamstring, uh, is Joe Kelly. And a little bit of an interesting figure. We talk, As we talked about the ground ball stuff, uh, he is that's kind of his, that's his ticket claim to fame. Marco Gonzalez is out of the rotation. Uh, what do you like about Kelly? And, uh, I mean, this is, again, I mean, I think this is a potentially fringy kind of mixed league play. Yeah, I mean, his, his whip has never been good, and it's kind of weird considering, you know, I don't think of their team as a bad one defensively. Um, his, his batting average in the balls in play for his career is um, uh, 297. His walk rate is, you know, three per nine, but it's actually better than average. So, you know, it's kind of strange that his whip is, is 136 for his career. I can't even really figure it out except that he lets so many balls into play that having an average BABIP means you're going to have a not-so-great whip. I mean, it's just it's like a law of numbers, really. Yeah. So, you know, I, it, what's really weird about Joe Kelly to me is that when I look at his player card, you know, on Brooks or whatever, and I or, or you know, the pitch FX uh, slat on, a, on, on Fangraphs, I, what I see is um, the slider is perfectly average, um, actually, you know, we did, we actually just came out with some new pitch type peripherals um, benchmarks with uh, uh, with Zimmerman today, and by using the median instead of the average, um, a couple things changed. So um, now uh, above average for the slider is fourteen point four. Um, so actually, Joe Kelly has an above average uh, with rate slider. He has a change that's basically average uh, in terms of whiffs and grounders. And he has a curve which is uh, above average on whips and grounders. So, you know, here's a guy who actually has, you know, considering his sinker is good and his four seam is about average, here's a guy who has five average or better pitches. And it's just so weird that you know, I think it must be that he's a total product of San Luis and that he's been, you know, it's been bashed into his head and he needs to throw the sinker and he needs to throw the sinker alone outside and he needs to do that over and over again. And um, and so he's he's focused on ground balls to the point where this year he's throwing the slider less and throwing the curveball more because the curveball gets more grounders. And I can't I can't I can't say that's why he's doing it, but 
Um, that's what I see in the curveball that might make me want to throw it more. So in any case, um, I think that Joe Kelly, if he'd come up in a different organization, would be a totally different pitcher. And, you know, with a guy 95-mile-an-hour heat to not get so many strikeouts, maybe it's good for his longevity. Maybe it's good to sort of mitigate any sort of home run risk or whatever. But um, it's almost like, you know, I wish I, would, I wish I would have seen what Joe Kelly would have been like if he'd come up with the or if he'd come up with the Braves. Um, but in any case, uh, the way he is now with the St. Louis, I think he's a back-end mixed league starter because that whip is going to hurt you and the strikeout rate is going to hurt you. Yeah, I think, well, I'm definitely wary of the uh, the whip, but that's actually what you point to was the increased curveball usage. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, you also said it's above average as far as whips go, too. Am I? It is, but uh, curves get fewer whiffs than sliders in general. So Right, right. Yeah, no, I'm not going to debate that. But I, th- I think uh, the comedy, I mean, I think that just the willingness to throw that, I mean, that's clearly a, a, an effective pitch for him all around. I think that um, just... Uh, maybe a slight increased ability because I mean his his average on balls of play against him this year uh, is considered is uh, is about is about his norm. Yeah, I mean, it's about what you would expect. Uh, he is. I mean, basically, I'm wondering if the curveball is just a pitch that he can also more easily command and locate because his walk rate is down. And maybe that gives him kind of a little bit more of a hope. Um, I don't I don't anticipate the strikeouts going up too much, but I mean I think he can easily get that up. Uh, above six and maybe approach seven because of almost 95. <laughs> right. Right. But I mean, you know, in, in the end we're talking about pitches uh, besides the curveball that don't generate strikeouts really. So that's, I mean, that's not really what you go after him for. You go after him because he can be a con- uh, fairly consistent pitcher uh, on a winning team. But I mean, I, I think that there's something to the possible, I mean, maybe I, that's my speculation for why he throws the curveball more is that it's something he can command a little more easily than the slider. And uh, it makes just a more, effect- a more effective pitch, allows him to limit the walk rate. But it's a very small number of innings that he's pitched this year, and it's really hard to make that conclusion for sure. I mean, ultimately, he's, he's, a, he's a mildly attractive pitcher because he seems, to, uh, he seems to have a pretty good plan of attack, but there's nothing real special about it right now. It's just going to be interesting to see. He's, he's fringy. <laughs> yeah, he's fringy. The command is something is important that you brought up because he has the best command of a sinker. The best ball rate on a, is on a sinker, and so he throws it a ton, and that's that helps him command things. And I guess he has to get ahead with that in order to do um, any damage with his off-speed stuff. And um, maybe he doesn't get ahead as often as they put it in play, and it's a ground ball. So, in any case, I mean, he's a very high floor. and uh, fairly- very low ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeehaw. And uh, uh, Yankees had to make a change as well. Obviously, their trade this past weekend uh, where they they added um, Brandon McCarthy, but they also dealt Vidal Nuno, and McCarthy would not be a, would not have been ready to join the rotation. So Shane Green had to make a start. Uh, judging from the way the Yankees' rotation has slowly broken down this season, it's always a possibility that Green is up uh, for an extended stay or at least comes back up. Anything that has intrigued you about him, because to me, this guy it says, even though, hey, look, uh, I'm, I'd be scared to throw a buck at him just based on his minor league track record. But uh, he comes up and pitches like six one-run innings or something like that. And uh, pretty good for a debut, especially for the Yankees. Yeah. You know, where I was worried about Dallas Beeler, you know, not getting any whiffs on his fastball, but 
having some representative other pitches. At least Beeler kind of has stuff that bends in different directions. As far as I can tell, Shane Green's pretty much a sinker slider guy. I mean, he's thrown some cutters, but the cutters aren't. Let me see how demonstrably different they are. They're not very different. There's uh, the cutters just move a little bit less horizontally than the slider. So basically, he's got a sinker and then he's got a slider. And the sinker doesn't get any whiffs at all, uh, decent for grounders. And the slider doesn't get any whiffs at all, uh, decent for grounders. So, you know, he has to really, you know, the, the number of people that end up being Justin Masterson are, you know, is one. And <laughs> the number of people who end up being relievers is, uh, you know, infinity minus one. <laughs> so uh, I think... Uh, I think for the I think Shane Green I would rather have you know, Beeler than Green, uh, but I would rather have Beeler, Green, and McCarthy than Nuno because you know I look at Nuno and I see nothing. I see not a single pitch that even has a 10% whiff rate, uh, not a single pitch that has a 50% ground ball rate. It's pretty bad. I think when I look at Nuno, I see Zach Duke, <laughs> which kind of hurts his feelings. So maybe we shouldn't dwell on that, and uh, we'll move we'll move on to some more exciting topics and some stuff that uh, quite a few tweeters, listeners, readers, etc. have been excited to talk about. And uh, we're going to start with uh, Clay Buckholes, who the news has just uh, has just surfaced after his start last night that uh, he appeared to have found a new changeup grip and kind of in the middle of an inning uh, in, the, in, in the start. And to me, this is high intriguing for a couple of reasons, but uh, I want to hear Eno's take on it. Cause this is a pitcher that we have not been very high on in the past, simply because he's unpredictable, injury prone, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I, I think I actually see it. Uh, I actually see it in the, in the game chart and it's worth noting that changeup has been the fastest fastest it's ever been this year. Yeah, that's and yeah, exactly yeah. where I was going with that. And for some, and and, and you know, it, it's kind of a conventional wisdom that you want the big separation between um, the fastball and the changeup, and we haven't been able to show it just based on that because there are ways to you can throw the changeup hard and firm like a Felix Hernandez changeup and get a lot of and get a lot of um, ground balls with it. So basically, uh, there, Strasburg, I think, does that as well. Not, yeah, not. Strasburg is, is, is similar in, in that respect. So uh, Harry Pavlidis has a great piece that I always, that I always um, link to on this, which he basically found either you want to be sort of hard and firm with a change up and get grounders with it, and, and it's kind of like a different, a little bit different sinker, um, or you want uh, a lot of drop, a lot of tilt, and a lot of. Uh, um, velocity separation so in this case uh buckles was seeing his his change up uh suffer this year he's seeing his overall performance um uh this year and then i looked i looked at his uh his chart for that game and you can actually see um change ups that were in that sort of 85 to 86 range uh which go along with the sort of 85 86 mile an hour change up he's been throwing this year then you know right nearly, you know, halfway point in the game, they all of a sudden start clustering around 82 and 83. Um, so that's a big deal for him. 
Um, you get it back down to 82, 83. That's uh, where his changeup was in some of his better years in, in sort of 2010, 2012. Um, you know, his, his changeup was there. So uh, it's something that I'm salivating at uh, talking to him about. And um, hopefully uh, David Lorela doesn't uh, snatch him out from under me. Um, but, um, you know, actually looking now, uh, 2012 was a great year for him, but it was one of his healthiest years, at least. So, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, put adding a changeup that that gives him more whiffs, and then you know pushes him back up to you know nine percent whiffs. Then I could believe he can get about a seven, you know, a seven for nine strikeout rate, maybe around a league average strikeout rate. He's shown decent command over the over his career, and his career ground ball rate is 49 percent. So. If he starts pushing that strikeout rate closer to, to league average, it starts to at least look like a league average pitcher um, and maybe better with some luck regression in the homer and Babbitt areas. Um, you, could, you, could maybe t- you can maybe convince me uh, that he'll have you know, a 4-0 type ERA with a seven strikeouts per nine. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, I think what... What we talked about before is that, uh, I mean, because, uh, I mean, he goes through some, uh, where he ha- uh, he goes through phases where he has these mechanical issues or or a grip or release point, whatever it is. I mean, he seems to go through these periods. And last year he was on, I mean, he rode a high to a 174 ERA. He was phenomenal. It's easily, you know, the best year of his career. Um, say perhaps uh, in 2010, he had like a 233 ERA uh, for, and he actually was he made 28 starts. He was pretty much healthy. But, I mean, the thing is, is he's just, he's, he can be all over the map. And, you know, I'd be interested, if, for instance, if he's dropped in my league, I'd say, well, now this is, this is that little, uh, this little piece of information is the impetus I would need to say, I'm going to take a chance on this guy because no one is interested still right now. And uh, I, do, I, I do like, I, I do like seeing this sort of stuff. I right. Mean, it, it, does, it does give me, ch- it's not like, well, I went out there and I threw all the same stuff I've always thrown and had a great game. It's a little bit different. It's like, right. well, I changed something, and so maybe something will change. Exactly, exactly. And, and we've seen where, I mean, Buckholes, I get the impression from watching his starts and when you see him and when you see little bits of information, things like this, he's, he's somewhat, he is a, a, a pitcher whose confidence tends to waver a bit. I mean, he's he tends to... This is a kind of little thing that this can kind of slowly feed into. It. I mean, where like, for instance, his zips. I think his zips rest of season projection have it at you know say a four oh five ERA. I could see, easily see him going on a run where he comes in well under that for rest of the season. His and his full season ERA might not be a whole lot better just because I mean he's he's around six uh, as we speak. But uh, I mean, even if he's a four ERA pitcher for the rest of the way, or gets just under that, I mean, you have a shot, and you have a shot. You never know that he because he could go on one of these kind of runs. Uh, but it, it's it's definitely something to note and to be a little more excited about, and not just uh, easily just uh, easily dismiss. I mean, don't consider it automatically noise, but uh, you know, at least there's at least there's a little bit of hope for him fantasy wise. Something upon which you can hang your hat. Oh. That's quite nice. Are fantasy owners ready to hang their hats on Dallas Keuchel for the rest of the season? So, guy, obviously you were big on him coming into the season. And for all intents and purposes, he has delivered no 
Uh, rough start his last time out. Maybe some folks are getting a little antsy. The strikeout rate has slowly dipped. The walk rate has climbed a bit. Um, just kind of some natural evening out, or uh, is this kind of uh, is the the what is the 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 hen is coming to roost or something? I don't know how that works. <laughs> Um, you know, I, you know, I don't see, I see a tiny bit of erosion in his fastball velocity. He's not really about fastball velocity anyway. Um, I, you know, I see some cutter change. Uh, he, you know, he, yeah, he dropped his slider usage in his last start and, you know, he has an injury. So, you know, for at least two starts or whatever, you know, you like you can see it really definitively. His slider usage, um, you know, two of the two of his three worst games by slider usage in the last two games. So, the slider was uh, blamed for, for his hand injury, um, and uh, you know he went to the sinker more than the slider in the last uh, last two games. And the sinker is traditionally the kind of the, the healthy pitch or whatever. That's his go-to pitch so he's uh he's just sort of retreating to the shell of himself um due to injury i would say and um i'm not necessarily worried about him until you know until the until the doctor says i should you know i mean either he's healthy or he's not i i can't get in there and find out and this all it's not time to sell him now i'm hearing that a lot of people are dropping him and i just i just don't see that um you need to do that because I would rather have him, you know, if you want to bench him, bench him, that's fine. Uh, uh, but I'd rather have him for uh, when they put him on DL, if it's a DL situation. Because then I can, you know, keep him, you know, find somebody else in the meantime and then get him back hopefully sometime this season. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, ultimately, this, uh, the, it's not, doesn't seem just to be coincidence that this, uh, that this uh, wrist inflammation thing popped up around the same time that his results kind of went south. And it is only for a couple of starts, really. He's not really doing a lot different. I mean, there would probably have been some sort of uh, kind of uh, uh, reckoning period for his numbers anyway, because that just, they kind of said so. I mean, he wasn't, he was seemed unlikely to to pitch to a three, a three a sub three ERA for the entire season. But Certainly, I mean, especially if he was, but if he was going to suppress walks at this rate, I, I would imagine that sooner or later, uh, his walk rate would have gone up a bit. But I mean, regardless, not necessarily somebody I was looking at. It was just due to be blown up and have like a uh, 2013 second half like Jeff Locke had or something like that, where it was going to go completely out the door. Yeah, I mean, his his home run for fly ball rate, league average, his BABIP league average. Uh, doesn't look like there's a ton of luck in his homer suppression. Maybe there is, but he has a 63% walk rate, uh, ground ball rate. That's, you know, it's fine. I don't in the traditional stats. I don't see anything to worry about. I, I in fact, I see uh, a little bit more room for strikeout rate given his 10.3% swing strike rate. I would expect um, a better than league because 10.3 swing strike. That's um, uh, you know two points above the league average. Um, so and to have just a league average strikeout rate with that kind of swing strike rate, of course, ground ball pitchers do that sometimes. Jaime Garcia forever had a great swing strike rate and a great ground ball rate, but not a great strikeout rate. So it's possible that he's going for the ground ball in times where people, other people, would go for the strikeout. Um, and so maybe he'll never get much better than a seven strike, uh, seven 
uh, per nine, you know, league average 20% type strikeout rate. But that's fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, the package is great. Maybe he gives up a homer or two more and is more like a 330, 340 guy. I'll take the uh, the over on the rest of season, the under on the rest of season projections anyway, because I think they're missing, um, they're still missing the kind of changes he's made. So, mm-hmm. you know, three three, three four, three five. If he's healthy, that's what he's going to do. If he's not healthy, you're not going to get anything for him. And if you're just going to drop him, you're going to miss out on potential another 80, 90 innings of of, uh, of good ERA and, and WHIP. Yeah, I agree, and I think I mean recommendation I, I would bench him and uh, i would wait to hear i want i want to hear that uh, the positive health report before i just throw him in and before i guess or anything like that i mean that's not yeah, he, he ended the last start and said like you know i'm, I'm not 100 percent. it's still bothering me a little so right somebody who is uh i think made his way onto a lot of mixed league rosters at this point is charlie morton uh, and for pittsburgh uh, this is I mean, he Returned from Tommy John surgery last season, and velocity was was up, um, and not quite as much this season. But uh, overall, I mean, the results are fantastic, uh, at least in terms of the ERA, and that's kind of a repeat. Uh, he had a three two six ERA last year, and now he's down to around three ten. It's been it's been good stuff. Uh, actually, getting more strikeouts than he did last season. Uh, and some folks are interested to hear, I guess, thoughts on him because it, how how likely is he to keep this up? I mean, this is a pitcher who basically adopted Roy Halladay's delivery. It's a little less exaggerated. Throws a lot of two seamers, and I, I know you wrote an article about uh, two pitch pitchers earlier this season. What should fantasy owners like and dislike about Morton? He's, you know, for what it's worth, he's throwing the splitter a little bit this year. Um, he's also throwing the curveball. At near uh, record pace for himself, and uh, his velocity—he retained some of his velocity gains from last year. He didn't go all the way down to where he was um, before he got injured. And he was sort of the end of 2011, uh, beginning of 2012. He, he didn't go all the way back to 90. So uh, in 92, 93, he's better off than he was at the end of 2011. He's not quite where he was last year, but. He gained some velocity, um, and like I've said in the past, uh, you know, I wrote about Jesse Hahn um, uh, for Fox, uh, Fangraphs on Fox. Uh, I think that, you know, using a curve as if you're a two-pitch pitcher, I think, you know, that's that's a good way to go because they traditionally don't have the same platoon splits, and often they can have a reverse platoon split. So, um, you know, with a with a curve and a sinker, you also have two pitches that break in very different directions. Um, he's thrown 130 split fingers this year, so he, he's he's thrown at some. You know that works out to about a seven percent average. Um, he's still kind of a two pitch pitcher if you count the fastballs as one. But nice that he has this other thing. The splitter looks to be a little bit below average. The curve is excellent this year. 16 percent whiffs. That's excellent. So that means he's getting good whiffs and grounders on that, and he's always gotten great grounders on the sinker. So. Um, you know, he's really not sexy. Uh, and, you know, using the curve for your for your whiffs means you're not going to get a lot of whiffs um, because the curve is one of the worst uh, breaking pitches for whiffs. But, you know, I don't think he's too far off from, from, you know, sustainability. I think I definitely would prefer, uh, I think I'd like him a little bit better than the 3.8, 3.9, 3.10, 3.11. 
five sort of rest of season projections that's that's given. Um, you know, his Babbitt's not that crazy. I think he's going to suppress some homers given that that home stadium he's in and the ground ball rate he's got. So, you know, uh, in a way, Keiko-esque. I mean, three three, three four, three five. I think he can do that. Maybe a worse whip because he doesn't have the same control as Keiko. Um, you know, seven seven K nine. You know, nineteen to twenty percent strikeout rate. I think he can do all those things. It's kind of funny. Uh, he does it the very. Uh, but uh, results could be somewhat similar. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> I'm I'm kind of pleased to see him come along like this because I had written a blog on him for a different site a number of years ago, just saying that I think like it was it was really intriguing that he just basically overhauled himself. And it's, it's nice. To see, I mean, he's made a lot of progress, and including throwing a Tommy John surgery in there in the past three years, he's really come a long way. This is probably pretty close to peak form, at least as is. But uh, I mean, it's it's. It's you know the getting is still okay. Uh, I wouldn't call it good, but it's not bad. And it's I mean I think that there's going to be a little bit of give back in the strikeouts. I think that'll come down just a little, like you said. But you know maybe seven per nine the rest of the way. Um, and um, uh, home run suppression is definitely going to be the name of his game. And uh, doesn't don't see any reason why that shouldn't remain that way. So he's he's okay. He's uh, I mean the whip the whip could be a factor, kind of. Uh, uh, along the lines of, say, a Joe Kelly. Maybe not that bad. Maybe. I kind of like a Joe Kelly. I, I can see that. Uh, it doesn't have the same velocity, but uh, and isn't young, but, you know, at some point that goes out the window. It's like we have 260 innings from Joe Kelly. It's not like, you know, he's an unproven guy who's going to change everything. So, mm-hmm. uh, I like I, I like Charlie. You know, for a mixed league, it's, um, it's a sort of back of rotation stuff, but if if you're looking for someone to start while you sit Dallas Keiko, I mean Charlie Morton can stand in for it. Yes, yeah, and he makes a decent uh, fish stick. And also a good role model for Jesse Hahn if, if Jesse Hahn's changeup never never comes to fruition. <laughs> Hopefully, it never gets that bad. Uh, in the sense that uh, I'd like to see Jesse Hahn continue to pile up strikeouts. But yeah. somebody who is not piling up strikeouts anymore is Anibal Sanchez. Uh, and uh, we're maybe it's kind of lost on on the owner, at least four by four owners who uh, love the three eighteen ERA a year after posting a two fifty seven ERA and was just kind of on a ridiculous pace for most of last season. Uh, he also posted a strikeout rate of ten per nine innings last year. This year, not so much. It's six point nine. Not really as exciting. Uh, not nearly as much in the way of I mean, the controls about the same and the strikeout minus walk percentage is uh, now down to around 12%. So, uh, I mean, he's, he's almost to the average, right? Right. He's not, he's not doing uh, basically. I think folks want to know where the strikeouts went for me. It's simply a case of, I think last year he did something. I, you probably know what this is, but uh, last year was just a phenomenal and kind of an outlier year for him as, as far as the strikeouts go. Sure, sure. I mean, I think we're seeing a little bit of the progression for the, the, the old the old pitcher syndrome where um, he's starting to throw the fastball less and less and the, and the junk more and more. Um, and I wonder if maybe there's just um, uh, decreasing returns on that on that philosophy. Maybe people are are more used to it. I mean, the last the last month he actually threw the fastball less than he's ever thrown it. Um, and you'd think at least the four seamer, right? So you'd think, and the two seamer. So you, 
you'd think that that would lead to a lot of whiffs, uh, but maybe now people are are thinking that he's sort of throwing the fastball backwards and are a little bit more accustomed to a strategy and um, are kind of looking for the slider and the changeup, um, which he's last month threw more than he's ever had combined, um, and uh, and laying off the fastball. Yeah, you know, it's certainly possible. I mean, it looks it looks like a potentially big deal to me that uh, I mean, last year he really peaked in terms of average velocity and was around 93. Had never been there in his career, and uh, since kind of dropped right back to pre 2013 levels. Not a bad thing in terms of his performance, but I mean, I think we I think it's pretty safe to say, even though. He may have a number of years left in his career that 2013 was a clear career year uh, and in terms of also physical ability uh, because of the way the, his velocity seemed to have peaked in that year and hit an unusual peak that uh, this is just I mean this is just more of the pitcher Anibal Sanchez is rather than the ace that perhaps you got used to last year maybe it is I just noticed something really interesting his slider went from 18% whiffs last year to 11% this year um, so something going on with the slider in particular. Um, it's, uh, it's not really velocity. It's about the same as it was before. Interesting. Uh, um, the fastball, like I said, the fastball is well. The fastball is where he has lost velocity. Right. Yeah, but it's the but it's affected his slider. I, maybe they they just um, they've just come closer together. Okay. Uh, that's yeah. There's a little bit of that going on. The slider and the and the fastball are uh, now, uh, yeah, because the slider got a little bit harder and his and his fastball got a little bit softer. So now he's like 93 with the fastball and 87, 88 with the slider, whereas before he was like 86 uh, with the slider and 94 with the fastball. I mean that's that's uh, that could be important. You know, it's the kind of thing that. Um, that that can show up in sort of fouls uh, versus uh, versus actual whiffs, um, you know, it, you know, just a little bit of difference in, in, in how they go. So this foul rate last year um, on the slider was sixteen uh, percent, and um, this year it's nineteen uh, percent. So looks like some of the whiffs went into fouls. Uh, which you know still are often strikes, and that's probably why he's he's doing okay anyway uh, in terms of results. But uh, there's some degradation of stuff there. I mean, the, the four seam sinker was still pretty good, the change still above average, uh, but now the slider and the curve have fallen below average, and he's throwing all that off-speed stuff a lot more than he used to, and um, so I think. Uh, yeah, I think it's a it's a little bit of all these things. A little bit of his strategy coming home to roost, um, his actual stuff degrading a little bit, being a little bit older, uh, and a little bit of overreaching last year. Okay. Now, uh, pitcher kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, young fellow who is just kind of on the come up. In fact, it seems to be that there's probably no reason that uh, Jimmy Nelson won't uh, at some point be up a little more regularly this season because Milwaukee is a playoff contributor. Now, I tend to think that it might be in the bullpen unless there's an injury, uh, that there's a good possibility of that. But folks have been – I get this. I mean, I've been asked about him on a number of occasions in chats. When's he going to be up? Do I want him? Should I get him now? And um, 
I mean, I can't, I guess I can't argue. And maybe I'm missing a boat here. Uh, I, I, his ability to control the baseball really concerns me. And uh, just, I mean, heard another report. I mean, his, he has had a history of not necessarily the best metric, but really high whips uh, in a good portion of his minor league career, whether it's because of the walks, sometimes he's been hit hard, uh, but whatever it is, like, and, and maybe there's a pitch that kind of determines or helps him get, get past this hump. But uh, I mean, obviously we know he can strike people out. I guess tell me that this guy is not just uh, – maybe I'm missing something. and Maybe this guy is not just a future uh, late innings reliever. Uh, but And, I mean, I, I saw this report that says, you know, Milwaukee is unwilling to part with Nelson in order to come up with any major piece in a trade. I think, like, this is the type of prospect to me that I would deal and, and not be too worried about it. Yeah, I mean, um, Strandberg uh, felt that um... – that uh, there were some some reasons to think that he was a little bit more than a uh, than a two pitch pitcher, and that maybe he can iron out some of those control issues. Because um, Scott Strandberg was saying that uh, it's mostly release point, um, which I don't know if that's easier to fix than other things, but maybe it is. Um, it, it does seem the kind of thing that would tighten up over time. Um, yeah, and, I think you had talked about some data about that earlier, saying that that's. Uh... Well, I need to look if that's if that's the way that pitchers improve their control is tighten their release point. But we did see it a little bit um, with some of the Chicago Cubs, and it's part of what what Arietta's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it, you know, it took Arietta a long ass time. And, <laughs> uh, and so emphasis on really ass. <laughs> we can't really work, uh, wait that long for Jimmy Nelson. And then I guess the other question is, does he have a good changeup? And uh, let's see, Strandberg says. Um, uh, once he started throwing his change, the offering was pretty consistently 82-83. It um, doesn't have particularly impressive movement, but if you consistently locate the pitch with a 12-mile-per-hour differential on the fastball, it'll play. So, you know, he didn't throw any change-ups until the third inning. Um, and, uh, and Mike Newman in the past uh, said that he was going to struggle when he gets to the big leagues because of this um, this control problem. So, I'm not uh, jumping on this bandwagon in anything other than, uh, you know, dynasty mixed leagues where perhaps he wasn't part of the player pool yet and he just got added, something like that. But even then, I'm putting him on my bench because I'm worried that uh, give him three times through a lineup, um, you know, the control or the change-up problem is going to come out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's just what concerns me is the the ability to get deep into games and, and do stuff that he can't do he can do this regularly to minor league hitters who just can't hit stuff that uh, that his pure stuff, but that major leaguers can wait him out and uh, can figure him out. I mean, I think that that's uh, like you said. I, I am I'm benching this guy if I get him. This is maybe more of a long term project. I want to see some evidence that that he is doing something to bring his arsenal more together, and perhaps it has to do with like you said his release points. Mm-hmm. Fantasy owners obviously and understandably concerned about Michael Walker. He had a stress reaction in his shoulder. I think probably some of the question has to do with uh, what are you know, how concerned are we in the long term about him? I know that the Cardinals have been they've been conscious of being a little conservative with him in the past, and that's why we didn't see him until late in last season. Uh, Dude, I totally cursed him. Somebody asked me, you know, <laughs> somebody asked me like. 
literally minutes before the news broke, uh, who I would pick, um, you know, for the next five years or something in terms of young pitchers and, you know, who I thought might stay healthy and who I liked. And I just said Waka because from the research I've seen, uh, great command um, and changeup, those are the two healthiest things to, to, to show a lot of. And we know he's got a great changeup. Um, and uh, we've seen uh, we've seen him show good command his whole career. So I thought here's a guy who's going to repeat his delivery. He's in uh, he's been treated uh, fairly well in terms of innings. Um, you know he's uh, 23 years old. Uh, he's got enough velocity where he can lose a little bit of velocity and it still works. So I you know I thought here we go. Then he gets a stress reaction, and you know everything changes because past injury predicts future injury, and blah 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 blah. So I don't know. You know, uh, I don't like it. It's a shoulder thing. Shoulders are much worse. I would rather he was out with the, you know, fatigue in his elbow or something. So uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I I'm not sure I'm buying him. I'm definitely not selling him because I still like him a lot. Yeah. I, I, yeah. What can, what's interesting about him is that this this is a the stress reaction in shoulder is an unusual baseball injury. Uh, I guess I mean you have to be concerned anytime there's an injury in that area. Uh, I don't I don't know what to say about uh, this type of injury as far as I mean it's not like a inflammation or you know even worse some kind of minor tearing or something like that. Uh, I mean, it's it's kind of an unusual injury, but I suppose it just kind of predisposes him to eventual future problems in it. And Cardinals were clearly conscious about something, um, maybe in the long term with him. And uh, I, I don't know. I, it's it's scary, but it's not something that uh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't look to go pedal him because of it, and I and uh, I certainly wouldn't. But at the same time, I would be I wouldn't be willing to give up a lot to get him. Uh, but if you, I think if you could get, say, uh, or if you could give up a kind of a, there's a question since we're about to talk about him is, uh, would you give up, say, a Shelby Miller or Andrew Heaney for a Waka? These are two pitcher that two pitchers that other people kind of like, uh, you know, maybe about on the same or a little less, perhaps Heaney maybe a little more than than Miller, of course, but yeah, yeah, I, you know, I'm thinking about it more. Yes, I would. Uh, a couple things I like are the fact that he's uh, throwing the curve and the cutter more this year. Not not great numbers on them, but just the fact that he's throwing them more, I think, gives um, hitters more things to, to, to think about. The curve gets a good ground ball rate. So, you know, between those three pitches, he's got a major league arsenal um, and uh, enough that he can vary over time so he doesn't get too predictable. That was one thing I was worried about against Boston. Um, he was kind of a two-pitch pitcher with a four-seam and a change, and they just, you know, jumped on the four-seam early in the count and never had to see the changeup. So um, yeah, that was last year in the playoffs. There, So uh, I like things changed. It's an unusual injury. I'm hoping, you know, stress reaction. It doesn't sound like uh, labrum. It doesn't sound like uh, rotator cuff. Those are the, you know, pitcher killers. Uh, he's an established guy who's shown that he's a major leaguer. So if I'm giving up things that aren't major league um, quality yet, then I'm going to do it. And uh, I think Shelby Miller has kind of shown himself to be, you know, somewhat inferior. Um, and I don't like Miller's um, collection of pitches as much as Walker. So 
you know, if that was the trade, Miller and Haney, yes, I would do it in a second. Yeah, yeah. I'm the same way. I mean, I think I, I would, I think most people probably like Heaney a little more. I'd be willing to trade Heaney because I just, I, I think I'm not one to, uh, I don't want to, I don't like, I wouldn't want to build so much of my keeper roster, for instance, around pitchers, but I think like Waka is the type of pitcher that, uh, I'd be willing to take the chance on keeping around for a while, as opposed to, I mean, I think of I think of Miller as Heaney as attractive talents, but in any given year they're not necessarily given great performers. And I don't know I don't know or have as much confidence in their upside or their ability to stay healthy. I mean, all this like the the, the upside with Waka to me is still clearly above both of those pitchers to the point where I, I you know Waka is a potential year in year out very good fantasy pitcher for my team and. I don't mind giving up one of those two pitchers because I'm going to get plenty of shots to replace them in any other year anyway, whereas Walker may not be that type of guy. Yeah. You know, just to touch on Haney real quick, and you've got to give me a hitter to finish this out because I think it's been like 99% pitching today. Yes. Um, uh, Haney, uh, we've got some data on him now. Um, sinker's not good for whiffs, but uh, and actually sort of a below average ground ball rate for a sinker, but um, we can probably shore that up. Um, what I like is that his changeup is amazingly has the ex- almost exact same horizontal movement um, and about half the vertical movement of the sinker. So basically, um, you've got this change that looks exactly like a sinker coming in, but is eight miles an hour sh- uh, slower and drops for uh, three more inches. So um, I think that's a pretty nice combo to start with, and I can see how that would really um, give minor leaguers fits. Maybe major leaguers can uh, can adjust to that. Um, the curve so far has gotten a ton of whiffs, so that's where he gets his whiffs is his curve. You know, between those three pitches, those are different planes, um, different velocities. You know, it's 91, 82, and 79. I like that. Uh, he's got. He doesn't really have, um, you know, uh, a lot of variance in. Yeah, I mean, he does. The curve is more up-down, and then the sinker and the change um, have arm-side movement. Uh, so I think he has things that breaks in every, every direction, break down, break you know, left, break right, uh, you know, different velocities. He's obviously a little bit more polished. So I think the results will start to, uh, to fall in line for Haney. But I'm just not, you know, again, using the curve as his primary whiffs pitch. Um, he's kind of known for his grounder rate. Uh, and his control. So I, I'm not I'm not projecting anything like his triple A strikeout rate suggests. I, I would project him for six or seven strikeouts per nine, uh, better than average walk rate, 50% ground balls. Uh, I'm starting to think of a comp now, but um, I'm sorry, I'm going right into Keiko territory again. <laughs> well, I think. <clears throat> What intrigues me about Heaney, and I, I wasn't I wasn't real big on him. I know he's he has the hype and stuff, but I think just relative to the field, I wasn't as big on him. But uh, I mean, I'm encouraged by what I've seen. And for instance, uh, he was dropped in our tout mixed league, 15 team mixed league. He was dropped. Uh, I assume kind of in conjunction with the news that the the Marlins sent him down, and not entirely surprising. This happens with young pitchers around the All Star break. Um, that's just because they want to continue to keep them on a schedule usually. Maybe it's because yeah, of maybe it's, point out it might be that might be wise down. I, I mean, I think that I mean it's. Um, I I was I was frankly was surprised to see Heaney dropped. Uh, given, uh, I mean, I think, yeah, the results have not been outstanding, 
uh, yeah, since he's been up. But uh, I don't think we've seen. Uh, we, I think we know we haven't seen the best of him. But this is not strictly a performance-related thing. I don't think I haven't seen anything that suggests otherwise. Uh, this is largely got to be to keep him on turn. There's really nobody else that the Marlins have that's going to kind of stay above him. And even if this is a performance-related thing, this is, I mean, it could be a two or three-start issue where it's worked out by the time the second half begins anyway. Uh, this is a guy I'm kind of interested in, even in, in these deep mix, or especially in these deep mix leagues, uh, where I think that the results will continue to get better because you, uh, you, plenty of times you see young pitchers where they're sent down and uh, now that they've had a taste of the majors, uh, perhaps this is a little bit of a, you know, kind of a, not a confidence issue, but just a little being overwhelmed by the situation. I mean, it's, there's a lot of, there are a lot of emotions for a lot of these guys. I mean, it's a big league dream for them kind of thing. And that matters. But I mean, ultimately, yeah, I mean, it's just, hey, I, I'm sent down. It's a chance for me to say, hey, you know what? I wasn't doing something uh, that I usually do up there. I was a little timid with this. and I mean, it gives them a chance to kind of have this step back point uh, now that they see what there's, there's situations where they weren't getting the results that they'd hoped. And uh, he, I mean, for instance, you talk about the, the quality of the changeup. It gets a ton. It's, it got a ton of ground balls, but he didn't get any strikeouts on the pitch, even though it's probably is uh, other than the slider, it's, I don't know if an 8.1 string swinging strike rate st- swinging strike rate on the changeup is great, but uh, he didn't throw it really in any counts uh, or didn't get it get strikeouts on it in any counts. It makes me wonder if uh, if that's you know a pitch that he's tended to rely on for strikeouts a little bit uh, and wasn't throwing it in them. Um, and you talk about how, uh, the possibility that it might look a lot like the the sinker and just you know there's a, there's a lot potentially working for him that he hasn't necessarily gotten to yet. Uh, just as yeah. I mean, just looking at those three pitches, it's a decent uh, place to start. I mean, it's a curve, a change, and a sinker. Those things do different things. You know, the fact that they kind of look alike, I think he can use more and more to his advantage. Um, and he has good command, and good command makes everything work better. So, you know, he's not starting with great velocity, so I can see how he might not be a great long-term asset. Right. Um, but... You know, that's one thing to think about, especially in keeper in, in weekly leagues where you have a weekly fab session, uh, free agency auction budget, um, and you're doing this before the All Star break. Uh, you might you might be able to use this opportunity to buy a, a guy in the minor leagues, sit him on your roster for a week. Um, uh, in this tout type, type scenario, you actually have to sit a guy in a roster for a week to keep him, uh, then reserve him uh, when the games start again. Because there's only going to be two or three games you're going to be missing next week. So right. um, this is an, an interesting time in, in leagues like that where um, you can take advantage of the short week and find a minor leaguer and reserve him next week, uh, the week after the, the All-Star break. You bring up an interesting point, and it makes me wonder whether I'm going to be bidding against you for his services. Because, uh, <laughs> I mean, he, I mean, I was like, like a cold just got hurt, so I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a, it was. Again, I mean, I don't think my bid was uh, was much at all when he came up because I said, you know, this is but, but yeah, because of these reasons, I I thought, you know, this is somebody I'm still haven't lost interest in, and I'm I, I'm frankly surprised that his owner would drop him already, uh, and now I'm now I'm a little more encouraged because I think that there's more there to show me that there's a, you know kind of rest of season projections, although not outstanding, are. Uh, a lot more achievable and, 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 uh, you know, we're a sub four ERA three, maybe three fifty three seventy five, uh, and a little bit, a little bit of, uh, 
increase in frequency of strikeouts, not like you said, like around seven per nine innings, is, is certainly possible from this guy because he's not. Uh, and and like you said, for everyone you talk to and everything you've read about this guy, he is top notch as far as polish goes. Yeah, yeah. You know, three of his five homers have been on the road. Uh, I don't suspect that he'll. You know, I think he wouldn't give up even a homer for nine at home. I don't think. You no. know, once they're going, so. No, not at all. Since Eno is whining, we're talking about some hitters a little bit. I know he's been dying to get his hands on some baseball bats here. We'll start with a little bit of Chase Headley. Uh, I guess there's some – you've been getting some questions about whether – you know, what. I guess what will Chase Headley look like in a new park. Uh, he'll probably be uh, – he'll probably take some walks and strike out a bunch and still hit 250. What do you think? No, no, no. It's, it's, I, I, no, I, maybe. I mean, I think you a know, lot of this I, is health related. I think this, or, well, a lot of, I mean, a lot of it's going to hinge on his health, which is unfortunate because we've been wanting to see what Headley would look like in a new park for a couple of years now. But uh, you have to be intrigued, no? Yeah, there's a note on his page that he returned to an old grip. Um, I looked at his last 30 day stats, and they're, you know, he's hitting 280 with power and a couple stolen bases. Um, and then, you know, a couple of years ago when he hit 30, he, he just decided, I'm going to start pulling the ball more. I don't care uh, what park I'm in. And I think he's actually retained some of that pull power um, that he had back then. So uh, I think if he moved to a park uh, that was uh, more conducive to, to pull power, say New York, um, especially when he was batting from the left side of the plate against righties, I think he would see a, an immediate boost in power. Um, we right. know he had. Toronto also is a possibility. Toronto, yeah, yeah. I think both of those parks would be really good for his for his uh, power, and um, you know, I think uh, he uh, he would uh, he could see a boost up into the sort of 175 type ISO area. Um, you know, 20 plus homers in a full season pace. Um, you know, three to five uh, uh, stolen bases the rest of the season. 250, 260 average once. You know, a few more homers, they always they add to your batting average. So, um, uh, you know, I think he could uh, – I think he could hit 260 with uh, 20 homer pace, um, you know, 10 st- stone base pace. And that's – I'm that's pretty bullish, I guess. I hope so. I just hope that the – I mean, again, it's uh, – he has this kind of uh, disc uh, – it's a disc injury in his back. I forget exactly what they termed it now, but it's uh, it's – he said it's basically something that it's, yeah, it's it's something that he said he's going to have to deal with the discomfort uh, at minimum for the rest of the season, and so I mean this is the kind of thing we know that back injuries are you know frequently want to to pop up again, and of course it's, uh, based on the everything about it. I mean seriously, that's that's clearly going to be an issue. I mean this is not a guy you're looking to say give up the farm with. It'd be a nice little addition in a trade or something like that, where he's not this. I mean he's certainly not going to be the centerpiece of it. I have him in mixed out. I've kind of been uh, – I mean, I was reluctant to give him up in trade. Now that I found out that injury uh, issue and all that, I I, I mean, I'm st- <clears throat> still happy I, I kept him overall because I think that there's still more potential there and uh, the ability to steal bases is, is present, which is something I need. But, um, I mean, who knows? This, this could be all over the map based on a, a good portion of uh, – and, and it's really it's, – it's health that's going to be a big factor in it. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, you have to admit he's one swing away from going back to DL. It's a back thing, you know, just one bad swing, and all of a sudden he's on the DL again. But uh, 
I've, uh, you know, he's probably on the waiver wire in most mixed leagues. Yeah. And uh, I just picked him up in a league where I lost uh, Edwin Encarnacion, not thinking that he would replace Edwin Encarnacion. But, you know, stats are stats. In that league, I could use a, a couple stolen bases. Uh, maybe he steals a couple bases for me, hits, you know, one or two fewer uh, homers than, than uh, Edwin would have hit over the next couple weeks. And uh, when I get Edwin back, I can make my decision then. Yeah, and like you said, uh, I mean, you, with the the change in the grip and uh, perhaps a little, a little other, I mean, some other things. Uh, I mean, clearly, now that he is, uh, he's put the initial pain to the the back discomfort. Maybe that's kind of in the rear view, at least for the time being. And maybe you caught him at a, at a good point, and uh, that works out for you, for instance. And that's something that you know, mixed leaguers might want to. Those in deep mixed leagues may want to take a shot right now, just just to see how it turns out. Xander Bogarts, very rough start to the season. Um, probably be the last hitter we talk about uh, today. Uh, but uh, just, I'm interested to hear what your take is because, I mean, when they signed Stephen Drew, everybody thought, oh, that's kind of the light, the light bulb went on for Bogarts. And he hit, you know, 400 and, and hit a few home runs in the span of like two or three weeks. And everybody loved him again. And then since then, he's kind of gone downhill. Uh, again, and the numbers are not good with a 239 average, 317 OBP, 358 slugging. Uh, power has really not shown up quite like I would have expected. Um, is this, I mean, is this point, is this, is this what he is? Is, I mean, certainly not for the, his career, but is this what he is for the rest of the season? I mean, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't sure that he'd be such a great asset in his first season right off the bat because um, and it's just hard to do that. I mean, it's hard to hard to jump in and do that. And also, uh, he has some swing and miss in his game, always has. And uh, I don't think he'll, he'll – maybe in his peak seasons he'll be an asset with batting average. But I think uh, most of the time we'll have kind of Headley-esque batting averages out of him, um, maybe a little bit better. Um, he didn't really steal a lot of bases in the minor leagues. I was always a, a lot more excited about Bogarts for um, on base percentage leagues and real life than I was necessarily for uh, five by five uh, fantasy leagues. So, um, you know what he's done so far. I think uh, he has a little bit more to give in terms of power, um, and you know power peaks in the later months. So I could see him uh, ending up with 15, 16, 17 homers. Uh, five stolen bases. Maybe he gets uh, on a little bit nicer streak with uh, line drives and, uh, you know, hits about 260 and, and finishes around the year of 250. Okay, so then what you're looking at is a guy who's a shortstop who has a 250 batting average, probably like a 320, 325, 330 on base percentage, 16 homers, five stolen bases. I mean, it's not it's not great. Uh, probably uh, but in real life, it's great, and uh, deeper leagues, it's great. So for I mean, shortstop in deeper leagues, it's it's exactly. not it's not bad. <laughs> it's, really, it's a really bad position in general. So and it's in for what it's worth, it's better than Drew. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely true. Better than Drew, and it's been a lot better than JJ Hardy and his empty batting average, which we haven't really had too much of a chance to talk about. But. Uh, it, any parting thoughts before we get to him? This is always a player we could talk about at length. I'd be interested to see. I think it's going to be an interesting discussion about him, I guess. But uh, to me, it's just a case of uh, uh, 
you know, I'm not, I'm not really sure what to make a hardy, to be honest. What is it? Is it, uh, this is, this is a, a really confounding player, I guess. Yeah, it's strange. I mean, usually uh, he has, definitely has an infield fly ball rate problem. And so for most of his career, he's had a bad batting average on balls in play. And I, I think that you'll actually see a regression in his batting average um, closer to his 277 career batting average on balls in play because um, he has a long career and he has a bad infield fly ball rate for his whole career. Um, so I don't think that's going to change much. He's not a line drive hitter. He isn't this year and he's never have been. So there's no real reason to believe that 335 Babbitt. Um, so what you're talking about is a guy who's probably going to hit 270 later um, going forward. And uh, if that if that empty batting average becomes an empty bad batting average, uh, you're really in trouble. Yeah. The, the bigger question for me is where the power has gone uh, because he, he hasn't changed um, – his uh, his ground ball per fly ball rate is almost exactly the same as it was last year, um, so I don't see why he should have just lost the power. Thirty one, yeah, but not not thirty five. Who's thirty one? I could see him actually, um, you know, being more regular JJ Hardy in the second half. Yeah, that's to me. Without knowing more about Hardy, I my kind of initial guess is kind of a maybe. This is a guy with a lengthy injury history who has missed significant portions of seasons at times uh, and really had some problems with wrist stuff in Minnesota and just has kind of, for the most part, not really had that problem, these problems in Baltimore. And maybe there was, you know, kind of an underlying injury going on in, this, in the first half and he's slowly getting past it. He's starting to hit some home runs. It'd be interesting to see what the, the you know, the, the batted ball distance and things like that are. But, I mean... It, there's nothing that says he's changed this drastically. I would, I, I agree. I would think, I, I think that there is reason for cautious optimism that he could be a little more JJ Hardy like in the second half, uh, at least until we find out more information about him. Yeah, I mean now he's 164th in the league in batted ball distance on his homers and flies, uh, right between Nick Markakis and Ben Zobrist. So. Um, that's not a good place to be. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, there's some other guys who are having similar, I mean, who have similar power in general that are near him. Uh, Curtis Granderson is right by him. Uh, Brian Dozier uh, has hit some homers this year. He's right there. Michael Saunders, uh, Jason Hayward, Ian Kinsler. Uh, these are guys that have decent power. So it's not, uh, it's not as worrisome, you know, uh, in season, as as uh, as it might sound, by saying he's got a little more power than Ben Zobrist, but um, uh, he does. Uh, it is a about a six to eight foot drop off from last year when he was sitting between uh, Brandon Belt and Carlos Beltran and Mike Trout. So uh, he's definitely fallen off. But they, I mean, that's like it's just one of those things that I I think is it describes what's happened rather than tells us anything about uh, why or if it's going to change. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I agree. And I see I see those kind of things often cited as, well, there's the reason right there is five. And it's like, well, no kidding. He's hitting the ball not as far if he's not hitting as many home runs. <laughs> right. Like that's I, I think that's there's no reason there. It's just kind of like, well, there's like you said, it just tells us more of what we already kind of know. So yeah. we, we hope for to see some more reasons uh, until then. And I think. 
uh, it's fair to say that you know hopes to see some reasons as to why Germany might actually beat Brazil today for whatever reason he thinks that they might. Oh, man. Nate Silver has uh, the Brazilians at sixty-five percent, but uh, uh, it's the knockout stage, so I'm rooting for Germany. I and it's it's kind of funny. I don't really ever begrudge anybody rooting against them because I remember in my childhood rooting for Germany when they played the most boring style of soccer that ever existed. <laughs> I remember asking my mother, why is everybody whistling at the Germans? And she said, because they're passing it back to the goalie, son. I'm very glad that they eventually eliminated, well, eliminated the rule that the keeper could not pick up the ball with his hands if it had been passed to him by a teammate. That was... Was that inspired by Germany? <laughs> um, I don't know of that specifically, but uh, I would not be surprised uh, because, yeah, they were definitely one of the teams that took advantage of that uh, rule quite uh, yeah, quite often. Uh, now, though, uh, Germany plays a much more exciting uh, style of, of soccer, and um, they do. Yeah, I don't feel as dirty about about rooting for them. So <laughs> and, it's not like it's not, it's not like rooting for the Greeks. <laughs> oh my God, is that boring? <laughs> uh, yeah, I couldn't root for Greek soccer uh, if you paid me to. But um, uh, the uh, I'm willing to root for Greek soccer if you pay me. Just. Just so we're clear. <laughs> just in case anyone who's listening yes. wants to pay Nick Mannix to, to I'll give you my PayPal info, and we can go from there. <laughs> but uh, uh, I am uh, the other team I'm rooting for, which is in the other bracket. Thankfully, uh, is the Netherlands because uh, I really enjoy their their type of soccer. It's really fun, but it's also basically European version of Brazil, um, and um, and for that. Uh, I thank them because I've always been mad at Brazil for being who they are and not being uh, Germany. <laughs> it's an interesting twist. Uh, oh, it's been total, total jealousy. I've, I've hated them forever. It's like with me and Michael Jordan. I hated him so bad, but it wasn't because I hated him. It was because he was so good. <laughs> uh, I do. I appreciate the Dutch's style of play as well. It's really exciting. Uh, I do like and the weapons that they have. I think if you're a, a Dutch fan, uh, you can't help but love Ian Robin, and uh, anyone else has to hate the guy. Right. But uh, well, I, we said during the last game, <laughs> it's not diving. He just loves to run and jump. <laughs> that's an artful way. Of, that's an artistic way of putting it, I guess. The flying Dutchman. Yes. So. <laughs> We'd like to thank everyone again for joining us, episode number 139 of The Sleeper in the Bus. And uh, we hope we have answered a good number of your questions. We look forward to doing more of that in our next episode and in future episodes as well. Yeah, thanks for thanks for heading out. Hopefully today, please let us know. I don't think uh, we caught any digitization, um, robotization of my voice. And um, hooked up in the landline, quit all my tabs. Uh, so uh, hopefully we were clean. Uh, bantery and precise today. Uh, let us know if we weren't. Please do. Please do. We always look forward look for constructive criticism, especially from the people who are nice so that they don't hurt our feelings. <laughs> this has been The Sleeper and the Bust. Boom.